Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Our guest today is uh, Michael Crawley from Durham in the UK. Uh, Michael has run competitively for Scotland and UK and has a personal best of 2 hours and 20 minutes in the marathon. Michael is an anthropologist and author of the highly influential book Out of Thin Air Running Wisdom and Magic from Above the Clouds in Ethiopia. I'm absolutely delighted to have Michael join the podcast. Welcome to the show Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Uh, let's uh, start with you giving the listeners a little bit of your uh, background, your running background and and uh, how you got into uh, a more uh, you know more interested in the various aspects of run uh, you know running and all of that. So over to you Michael. Sure yeah. So um I think I started running when I was uh, probably 12 or 13 uh, running cross country races at school and things like that. Uh, I was also running you know playing lots of other sports playing cricket and football and, and things until I was um 15 16 then I realized that I was probably better at running than than those other things so I kind of I got very into it but I was lucky because um at the the end of my street there happened to be um a guy living who uh, ran 214 for a marathon back in the 1980s well wow. uh, a guy called Max Colby um so he ran for Gateshead Harriers at a time when uh, Gateshead Harriers had um, people like Charlie Spedding, who was the last British man to get an Olympic medal in the marathon, um, Brendan Foster, various other very t- very good um, British runners running for them. So he kind of he started my interest really just by lending me books from his. He had this huge bookcase that was full of books about running, and he kind of got me interested in the culture of, of distance running and um, sort of curious about what it is that makes people. Uh, want to run 100 miles a week in training and what kind of drives people like that so I, I suppose I was interested in the culture of running in the northeast of England and then um, from that I got interested in what was happening in East Africa and read some books about Kenyan running uh, and kind of realized that there was a bit of a gap in terms of our understanding of what's happening in Ethiopia um, I think it's easier really in many ways to go to Kenya because they um most of the athletes there speak english it was a former british colony and things like that but um in ethiopia most of the athletes speak either amharic or afana romo um it's a little bit less accessible so i thought a book about the the sort of culture of ethiopian running would be would be really interesting so uh so yeah and then as an anthropologist i guess the the thing that sets anthropology apart from other ways of studying um things is our research method which is ethnography which means basically uh trying to go and and live alongside people and try to understand what the world looks like from their point of view i suppose um broadly speaking so um that allowed me to use my sort of my running the fact that i was a sort of 220ish marathon runner at the time to go and actually be able to do at least some of the running with people um and try and understand what it was like from a kind of from the perspective of being being within the group and doing the training runs with people and then also kind of living alongside them and trying to understand sort of kind of holistically what their lives were like i suppose okay and uh, did this uh, interest in uh, in in uh, running uh, follow like i mean or a deep dive into running follow your interest in anthropology uh, i mean how did how did these two uh, come together you touched upon it but uh, can you share a little more detail Sure yeah well, I was actually interested in in sort of um issues of international development to begin with so I was interested in kind of how um ideas about personal development through running 
mapped onto more kind of um, economic ideas about developing the country in somewhere like Ethiopia, where obviously a lot of the runners are motivated by wanting to change their lives as they describe it through running. So, um, I, yeah, I was yeah I was interested in those kind of development issues as well, uh, but then. Um, as I spent more time in Ethiopia, I became interested in a lot, a lot sort of other things that were sort of more, more sort of broader anthropological themes, I suppose, in in what was going on, and ended up writing a lot more about that in my PhD thesis. And then the book is basically a, um, and it, a sort of a rewriting of the PhD thesis in a way that hopefully is a little bit more interesting to read. <laughs> Okay. No, clearly the book is meant to meant for a, a layperson and not uh, not actually narrated uh, as a uh, you know as a PhD thesis or something very dense, right? I mean, it's 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 obviously for the uh, for the person who's interested in running and more specifically in uh, in in Ethiopian running and uh, and, and and related uh, topics. So when you went to Ethiopia, what were the initial challenges uh, you faced? Uh, 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 things like how big was the language barrier, as you touched upon. You know, in Kenya they speak a prob- you know a little bit of English. It was a former British colony, and then uh, when you started training, uh, were the level of your uh, teammates much higher or much better than where uh, you were at? Yeah, the um, the language barrier was a problem initially. I kind of my first three months in Ethiopia, I spent a lot of my time just having one on one Amharic lessons with a with a teacher. Um, so I was running in the morning, and then I was basically studying all day. Um, but I found I quite quickly developed a sort of running specific version of Amharic, where I was able to <laughs> have conversations about the times that people had run and and kind of what they thought about running. Um, it, it took longer for me to learn. I'd learn how to talk about other stuff apart from running, but my my running Amharic came on quite quickly. And then I guess I was um, I wasn't sure how easy it would be to meet runners and actually be sort of welcomed into a group. But that that was actually very straightforward. I just basically walked up into the forest behind my house and started jogging the first morning I was there. And somebody, a group of runners, ran past and they literally kind of grabbed me uh, and took me along with them in the group. So uh, that was very easy. And I think. Um, yeah, I learned something very early on, which was that basically in Ethiopia, running is seen as this very sociable activity that you shouldn't be doing on your own anyway. Okay. So it was therefore very natural for me to just be taken along with them. Um, and they they kind of taught me the, the kind of running routes and I took me along with them. And it wasn't a problem really. I mean, most of the athletes that I ran with were, were obviously at a higher level than I was. Um, but that was only a problem sort of a couple of days a week where we did really fast training. Um, most of the running that, that happens in the forests is actually, um, you know, really manageable pace, sometimes sort of 10 minutes per mile, that sort of thing. Um, so that kind of meandering running around the eucalyptus forests and things was, was pretty manageable, even when I wasn't, um, that well acclimatized to the altitude. So that, that wasn't too big a problem. Okay, and and the, when you went to Ethiopia itself, you went uh, uh, you went uh, as part of a coaching group, or did somebody assist you in that initial initial phase? Uh, so I, I happen to know a sociologist, a French sociologist called Benoit Godin, who was working at Addis Ababa University, and he was also studying uh, running, although he wasn't actually running with with the athletes. So okay. uh, I initially lived with him, and then I also happen to know um, an athlete manager who lives in Edinburgh where I was doing my PhD and he had the group um, Moyo Sports Management um, group in Ethiopia that um, who I did most 
most of my training with. So they were the they were the kind of professional group that I um, that I was embedded in for for most of the time. So that was really lucky having that connection. Uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. And uh, yeah, were the uh, were your uh, uh, fellow runners were they curious at all as to why you were there? Uh, did did you have any social <laughs> chats uh, uh, outside of the running? Uh, so what was what was that like? That was interesting because I mean, as I said before, most of the runners said um, that they were running in order to change their lives and that it was to do with you know wanting to wanting to essentially make make money from the sport. So they were they were confused by what I was doing there, knowing that I could only run sort of two twenty for a marathon, which was unlikely to to be making me any money. Um, and sometimes they would ask me questions like, you know, could you could you just get a job in a bank in the UK? Uh, <laughs> and I would say, well, probably. Uh, and they would say, well, that surely that would be much more comfortable as a way of life than than being over here trying to run with us. Um, so I think they kind of initially didn't really understand what I was up to, and then it was just by kind of uh continuing to turn up to training and they just they realized that I was just going to continue to get up at 4:30 in the morning and turn up every day and eventually I think they came to respect that to a certain extent that I was just you know I was willing to do what they were doing every day um but they knew that I was writing writing a book about what what was happening as well so they were kind of curious about that and people would come and sort of once they once they learned the kinds of things that I was interested in they would come and just tell me tell me things that they thought I would find interesting and, and things that they thought might work well in the book and things so uh so it worked really well from that point of view okay now that's nice to hear and uh what were the main differences you observed I mean you you uh, you touched upon the fact that there it's a social activity or a group activity and you don't see runners training alone you know like elsewhere um, and what are the some of the other things and 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 uh, you know and more more overarchingly like what is their underlying you know philosophy about uh, philosophy about running one is the economic aspect we get that but mm. other than that well i think you know the the first time that an ethiopian ran really well on the world stage was in was back in 1960 with abibi bikela and he won that was that was extremely significant because he won running barefoot in Rome, which was the you know the capital of the of Italy where they um which was the former colonial power in Ethiopia. So it was really kind of significant from a nationalist perspective. Um, but the way that people talk about it is that after his victory, people sort of just start that people became interested in running and they started running and but that it was quite an organic process in terms of how people learned how to train. So people would learn from Bikula and then that would gradually be passed on sort of from people, but sort of as a mode of practice more than anything. Um, and I think what's especially interesting about Ethiopia is that they they really believe very strongly in getting the right balance between different kinds of training environments. So okay. there's this idea that you needed to sort of place yourself within um within the forces around you, I suppose, in a way that was going to make you better. So that's why we used to get up three mornings a week at 4.30 in the morning to get on a bus to travel somewhere to go go to an environment that they thought was especially beneficial. So that meant that sometimes we were training up at kind of over 3,000 meters above sea level um, on the mountain. And then some days we would drive right the way down to a place called Akaki, which was more like 2,000 meters above sea level. And the difference between those places is maybe 15 degrees centigrade in terms of the temperature, um, oh, very different kind of surface for running on. And so they would try to try to mix things up as much as possible in order to, to improve in that way. They also, um, yeah, they thought that, 
getting the right variety of surfaces was very important as well. So we would only run on the road um, on a Friday morning. That was the only time we'd ever run on asphalt. Um, the rest of the time, it was um, they thought it was important to run kind of in the forests to sort of get a real variety of um, different training surfaces. Okay. So a lot of the time it would resemble, you know, we kind of think about road running uh, being something that you train for on the road and then trail running being kind of something separate. Correct. In Ethiopia, it was kind of, you know, marathon runners would do the majority of their training in a way that would re- more closely resemble what we might describe as, as trail running, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, they, those would be some of the main differences. They also had this, you know, real separation between the hard training uh, three mornings a week and then the rest of the running, which was very, very easy. So making sure that there was a real separation between uh, between kind of different intensities of training was important as well. Yeah, I mean, in fact, uh, you know, a little little while earlier, you said some of the paces, easy run paces uh, were like 10 minutes a mile, which, mm. you know, a lot of us can do. And I'm assuming that for a lot of the runners you ran with, that's probably like five odd minutes off from their marathon pace or even 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 higher and that's you know that's actually in a way quite heartening to hear here because mm-hmm. uh, clearly you should run your easy paces uh, really easy and just get the mileage in and uh, and uh, and all of that tell yeah. tell, uh, tell us a little bit about the gear uh, i presume that uh, you know getting gear was also like prim- primarily running shoes but even nowadays even things like gps watches and all would would be challenging uh, both from an availability perspective and from an affordability perspective, right? So, what did you what did you observe there? I mean, except for very few, I'm sure nobody really had a sponsorship and things like that, right? Yeah. So the 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 top athletes are usually sponsored by Nike or Adidas, um, but basically, so Nike and Adidas would send the top athletes a, a huge amount of kit every six months. Okay. And what what normally happens is that some of that kit finds its way into sports shops in Addis. That, that the athletes would sell it on to sports shops. So the only way for up and coming athletes really to get good quality running shoes is to buy it from these shops in in Addis that are very very expensive. So um, a pair of you know the new Vaporfly um, shoes, for example, they'd be very hard to find. And if you did find them, they'd cost maybe five hundred dollars, something like that. Wow. Okay. So, um, so yeah, facilities are are a bit of a problem. Uh, the GPS watches. Um, that was interesting because my research was mainly in 2015 and 2016 and there weren't very many GPS watches at all when I first started my field work they were just kind of starting to appear um, in Ethiopia and then they gradually became more uh, more more widely available but people would um, people would kind of use the watch quite differently they would often be shared between people if because there weren't very many of them so you know one watch would be shared by five or six people they'd use it for when they needed to do their, their kind of hard training runs when they wanted to be able to measure things. Um, but they would also use it in, in a way that I think would be a, a bit unfamiliar to us in the sense that they would sometimes take it to the forest and see how slowly they could run <laughs> with the GPS. So, you know, <laughs> um, rather than this kind of constant obsession with trying to go faster all the time, it was often, you know, used in order to try to go more slowly, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, those those things um it is a there is a problem as you say of both affordability and availability in ethiopia and i think that's becoming more of a problem now with the new kind of super shoes in the sense that they're just not particularly widely available at all and it means that in domestic races like the the great ethiopian run for example which is a 10k race in addis 
uh, that's always been a, a race where somebody young and up and coming might be able to prove themselves against the top professionals and then all in order to kind of get an opportunity abroad that's a lot more difficult if if the top sort of 10 or 15 runners are all wearing vapor flies and then nobody else is, has access to them it's a bit more difficult to then break through at that level i think um, yeah okay um, so uh, in terms of a typical training week i mean how how did how did it, how did that look like uh so yeah it's usually structured in the same way so we um always have a rest day on a sunday Okay. Um so one one full day of recovery. Monday would be uh Monday morning we would get the bus to um a kind of rough road place that which they described it as um so they would they called that korakonch in Amharic which is basically a word that comes from the sound that your feet make when you're running on on kind of a gravel road <laughs> kind of okay a crunching sound. Uh, so we would go to a road like that and do do a run from anywhere from maybe 20 to maybe 35 or 40k. Okay. So nice long run on a Monday morning. That would usually be on a really hilly kind of off-road route. Uh, then on a Wednesday morning, we would do speed training, which was usually um, on a on a big field, quite um, quite sort of informal in some ways. It would just be kind of um, one minutes, two minutes, three minutes hard running with maybe uh, a minute recovery, something like that for um and the reps would usually add up to about 30 36 minutes something like that um and that would be the one session a week where they were allowed to really kind of compete against each other and and see who was the fastest okay. and then on a friday morning as i said we'd go to the to an asphalt road um so either a, a flat road like um sebeta which is where they just had the trial for the ethiopian marathon team for the olympics or a hillier route up in a place called um Sindafa. And that would usually be a tempo run of maybe 20K or longer reps of 2K hard and then 1K easy or something like that, um, adding up to maybe 25K. So it'd be those kind of three hard sessions a week. And then um, every afternoon would be in the forest just jogging for maybe 40 minutes. Um, and then on the easier days, usually a bit about an hour of jogging in the morning and maybe 40 minutes in the afternoon. So that would be the the general what the general week would look like and and you trained uh, two sessions uh, with them or, or uh, you did only usually one it, would, it would depend a little bit because i was doing research and um interview you know driving around to interview people and and typing up notes and all that kind of stuff a lot of the time during the day um when the athletes i was working with were usually sleeping <laughs> sometimes it would get to the afternoon run and i would I would give the afternoon run a miss, <laughs> but usually I would make it. Um, that was normally a very easy jog anyway, so um, it, it wasn't normally a problem. Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review like for example CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. 
now let's get back to the show so just uh, we talked about the you know the structure of the training gear and some other some some of these aspects uh, t- take us through i mean take us into the mind of these uh, athletes i mean what's their mental mental approach there's obviously you know some of them are clearly very 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 tough and competitive as well uh, what did you learn about the either the mental approach how do they prepare themselves for hard sessions and how do they prepare themselves for races uh so just take us through that well i think the the most important thing that they saw um in terms of a kind of characteristic an athlete needed was that you needed to be really patient and you needed to be willing to just work kind of consistently for a long period of time so that's the thing that's what they kept saying um and then beyond that i think um most of the athletes they they saw themselves as primarily as a runner that was like their identity um so they normally wouldn't have any kind of other job at the time that they were a runner and whenever i asked people kind of uh i tried to ask a question which was basically if your running doesn't work out and you don't manage to get to a big race abroad and and things what will you do afterwards and most people would not want to answer that question they just kind of said well i don't i'm not going to think about that until after <laughs> so they were kind of fully committed to their running um okay they also for the most part the runners were um orthodox christians which meant that they they believed that god had a kind of wider plan for their lives and that you know ultimately um how they did with their running was kind of up to god and would be would kind of be determined by by god's plan so if they had a bad race they didn't tend to feel particularly despondent about it they would just say you know it clearly wasn't wasn't my day today god didn't want it to happen today but he'll have a plan for me in the future at some point. So there was not too much anxiety about that kind of thing um I guess with their running. And then in terms of their approach to this the kind of sessions and training Ethiopia is quite um well Amhara society in Ethiopia is quite hierarchical. Um so there's a sense that you you kind of really respect um people above you within a hierarchy which meant that they would accept what the coach told them to do more or less unquestioningly. Um and that that so that relationship was that was important that that it was kind of quite um quite strong and that the coach had authority um which also meant that they would uh that the coach was seen as having more responsibility over their performances than we might potentially think in um in other places i guess okay um, those would be the main things but people just had a really strong belief that um that there was something inside them that you know that they had this potential that just needed to be let out i guess so there was no belief in i think we all, we often think about um about talent as you know some people are more talented than others and that's just you know natural genetic or whatever there was no real sense that anyone ever talked about talent in ethiopia it was just whether you whether you were putting yourself in a position to be transformed as an athlete in a way that would make you um make you world class so i think that that really helps in terms of belief because they they just think well you know if i do the right things if i do the same things that haile gebre selassie did then i will be successful uh and there's no they're not holding themselves back by thinking about kind of limitations of um you know genetics or or anything else like that wonderful that's really heartening to hear and uh, how how was how was their approach towards uh, recovery fueling you know the other aspects of what you know we we all think we all think about in training and uh, racing 
Um, well, they, they they were quite keen on sleeping as much as possible. So we would often, you know, after training, uh, they would see it's quite important to try and sleep for a couple of hours during the day before training again in the evening. Um, but in terms of, I, I felt like there was actually less anxiety around fueling than a lot of people have in the West. So like, for example, I'm, I'm drinking an SIS recovery shake at the moment because I went running just before we talked. Um, they, there was no sense that people were hitting that kind of 20 minute window that, that people talk about after a run to, to refuel because, well, for the simple reason that a lot of the time we were still on the bus on okay. the way back into Addis after training. Um, so people were, you know, they, they saw rest as being quite important. They would talk about avoiding doing laps, um, which is how they described it, Zur in Amharic, which means basically um, going around doing errands that you didn't need to be doing. So going to sit in a cafe or going to play pool and things like that were seen as things that if you could avoid them, you did just because you wanted to stay off your feet and things like that. Um, so yeah, just they're relatively laid back, but trying to trying to just get rid of distractions that um, that were going to interrupt the running as much as possible. But what about things like massage and all? I mean, did they, did they do that? Yeah, people did actually. Um, a lot of a lot of runners who um, who kind of realize that they're not going to make it in the sport, or like they've kind of got injured or something, retrain as massage therapists, um, sort okay. of quite informal ones. So they would come round. Um, I lived in a compound with a couple of other runners. And we would often have a massage therapist just come and kind of knock on the <laughs> knock on the door and come in and, and do massage for 50 minutes. And it would cost um, the equivalent of about um, a dollar, basically. So it was, you know, it was great. Um, it, I've had more massages in Ethiopia than I've had uh, any other point of my running career as a result of that. Um, so, yeah, they would they would do that. And even if they didn't have access to that, they would often massage each other actually after training. So that was seen as quite important. Okay. And uh, did how, I mean, I, from what you described, obviously you did a lot of running in what we call trails. Uh, mm -hmm. So how safe was it? Did you have any incidents uh, that you would uh, uh, you know, talk about? I, so I had a few incidents with hyenas uh, in the sense that oh, I wow. saw them um, sort of scampering off in the distance or sometimes they, so the runners kind of always wanted to try and make the easy runs as interesting as possible just they were always trying to make it to make sure that things didn't get boring so we would constantly be trying to come up with new routes and new ways of running around the forest and sometimes people would deliberately run into the bits of the forest where the hyenas were just to kind of have a you know make things more interesting essentially just to go and see if we could see them but um, you are in a group when all, when you do all this right yeah I mean, you are not alone yeah so as i said it's like normally is seen as pretty antisocial to run on your own so the only i occasionally run on my own if i if i woke up after about 5 30 in the morning and didn't have time to go running everyone basically ran at 6 a.m every day so if i slept in then i would run on my own um but the hyenas was it was interesting because they're very they're big but hugely powerful looking things they are quite scary looking but um Hylia, who was my uh a good friend when i was there he said you know the hyenas are basically just like people uh, for the most part, they'll leave you alone, but occasionally you do get one that's a bit crazy. So <laughs> you have to just watch out for the <laughs> watch out for the crazy ones. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't think it was ever actually that dangerous. Hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
So, uh, uh, when you returned, how did your uh, running your running change? Uh, how did you kind of carry forward, you know, some of the lessons and uh, I would say traditions from uh, from Ethiopia? You, of course, uh, went after that go, went ahead and did uh, the, did a formal or official two twenty mm-hmm. uh, uh, marathon as well, which is your current uh, personal best. Yeah. So, just just take us through that that part of your, your journey. Yeah, so when I first got back from Ethiopia, I think I was quite um, disillusioned with my running in some ways, just because I'd spent so much time with people who were so much better than I was. <laughs> um, it seemed like a bit of a waste of time in some ways to train that hard. Um, but I kind of got myself out of that. I, I still wanted to, I hadn't run a really good marathon yet, up until, you know, until the time when I got back. Um, and so what I did was to try and get myself out of that rut, I um, got in touch with Hylia and I said, can you write me an Ethiopian style training program that I can do in Edinburgh, uh, where I was living at the time? So he wrote this training program that was really based on um, on looking for different kind of landscapes around the city that I could use for my running, I suppose, um, like I described in, in Addis. So obviously there's not the altitude in Edinburgh, but you do have um, a, a small mountain in the city centre, Arthur's Seat, you've got kind of um, rough road trails along the coast and then you've got golf courses which are kind of on a hill um, so I kind of I did this Ethiopian style training that was based on running on the mountain um, running on the golf courses and then on, on the kind of rough road along the coast um, and sort of a, a hybrid of that and some of the stuff that my coach in, in Durham I was telling you about uh, told me to do and that's uh, that's when I ran 220 but the really nice thing about running that that 220 in Frankfurt was that Actually, I ended up running with the elite women's group for the entire, more or less the entire race. Okay. So I was, um, I was, and, and the elite women's group in that race was all Ethiopians. So it was kind of four Ethiopian male pacemakers, then all the, all the women in the, in the, the sort of front end of the elite women's race. And so I got to feel what it was like running in that kind of group environment in a race environment as well. Um, so I think that, that really helped with, um, with running 220. Uh, as well and where was this where did you run this that was in uh, frankfurt in germany okay so that's an october race right yeah yeah that's it yeah okay okay yeah i I mean personally also have visited edinburgh many many years back beautiful place but i never ran uh, ran there i have gotten into running after that so it has got there is a marathon in edinburgh as well but it goes um because i ran that uh before frankfurt and it goes out down the coast and then back again but it's always because it's right on the coast. It's so windy that it's almost impossible to run fast. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful route. It's a nice one to do. Yeah, 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 sure. So let's now come to come to the book. Uh, why did you write the book? What can readers uh, expect uh, expect from the book? So I think the main reason I wrote it was to because, as I said at the beginning, you know, I thought that people didn't really know much at all about Ethiopian running culture, and I wanted to kind of sure um, to bring that to life. Um, I hope that what it does is allow people to kind of follow the lives of uh, of a small group of runners, you know, who from uh, the kind of grassroots all the way up to to people like Jamal Yimmer, who I write about quite a lot, who um, who is now the Ethiopian record holder for the half marathon. He ran fifty eight thirty three uh, for a half marathon a couple of years ago in Valencia. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's that's why, and and hopefully it would it kind of um, it brings out some things that people can use in their own running as well you know like this idea that running should be quite a creative process that um 
that if as far as possible you should make it into a bit of an adventure if you can and that even the best runners in the world are trying to do that and, and make their running as interesting as possible so um hopefully there's some there's some stuff in there that people can can find interesting um and then even for for people who aren't interested particularly in running i think hopefully there's there's some stuff about ethiopian culture more generally that's um that's interesting yeah, no, it's it's quite helpful because uh, you know, as you started by saying uh, that, you know, you get you have far more in, information about uh, Kenyan running uh, when whenever you talk about uh, running or East African running, but and much lesser about Ethiopia or Uganda, which all have pretty rich uh, traditions around uh, around running, right? So, so this is this is really wonderful. I will obviously link uh, link uh, the show in the show notes the links to where to get the book and uh, and all of that and and other than your own book are there any recommendations uh, you would like to give listeners some of your favorite youtube channels or blogs or websites or any other book uh, any uh, other books come to your mind podcasts for that matter i really like the book um running with the buffaloes by okay. yeah which is about um uh, basically a year that he spent with a with a cross country program in America with Adam Goucher so he kind of it's a similar sort of thing where he's kind of embedded in a particular running culture i guess uh but that's that's probably my favorite book about um about running in, in other similar works i suppose would be Adhadaran Finn's books he's written a book about running with the Kenyans and a book about yep. um Japan and, and things like that um podcasts uh i guess the the biggest one probably in the uk is marathon talk um yep. I don't, People have listened to that much. Um, I, I listen to it, so yeah. <laughs> and then there's a, a few people who make great. There's a guy called um, Aman who's on um, on Twitter who makes really good videos of um, of Ethiopian athletes doing training sessions. So if people want to get a sense of what um, what this actually looks like, uh, his YouTube channel is really really good. Um, that's that's Ahmad. Ahmad or Aman? Aman it, it's called. I'll send you a um, I'll send you a link so that you can put it in the show notes. But um, sure, sure. He Thanks, he made man. a video of the of the marathon trial for the Olympics the other day, um, which is, yeah gives you a really good sense of what um, what the road running sessions look like. Okay, sure. And uh, if listeners want to follow you and uh, or contact you, what's the what's the best way? I mean, what are your social media hand- handles? Wh- whatever you're comfortable sharing. Uh, I'm at MPH Crawley uh, on Twitter and um, at Mike Crawl, I think, on uh, Instagram. Sure. Um, I think I'm also on Strava. I'm not sure. I think my name is just Michael Crawley on Strava. Um, so if people want to see what running I'm doing these days, then, then sure. Right. So I'll, I'll link all of this, uh, all of this in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for your time, Michael. This was really, really interesting. Uh, I hope uh, listeners got a listeners got an insight into into Ethiopian running and your own personal journey with that. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you know many of them would be looking forward to reading the book uh, book as well so really 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 appreciate you taking the time and talking to us oh thank you very much it was enjoyable thank you very much to all the listeners please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com that is r-u-n-f-i-t-r-a-j.com it has all the podcasts it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both instagram and facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show i also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. 
we will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy. Until the next show, goodbye.